Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Hello, welcome to Tiny Revolutions with me, Tiff Stevenson, the podcast that looks at art and creation that is revolutionary. And I talk to some of the people who've been tiny revolutions in my own life. Uh, very excited this week to have on the podcast Icon, iconoclast, musician, writer, artist, friend. Simon Neal. More, more, Tiff. Give me more. Give me more. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to see you, Tiff. How are you doing? All right. Not too bad. Not too bad. I normally clap you on. I'll do that because us performers need that validation. The ego needs it, especially <laughs> at the moment. We're, we're all feeling slightly vulnerable this year, aren't we, Tiff? We need that little confirmation that we're, that we're still loved. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it's been for you in lockdown, but, uh, and, it, you know, I can say this on the pod that uh, the reason I know you is because of my fiancé. But uh, I felt for him during lockdown because my need for attention is high. And um, <laughs> there's a lot of just running around the flat going, listen to me. <laughs> I'm not doing any shows. Please listen listen to me and him going Jesus Christ just five minutes uh, so. <laughs> yeah that's Paul truth. well I think it's probably it could be 15 years we've known each other now maybe Tiff. 15 years yeah and coming up on yeah yeah, yeah it's 14 yeah fantastic yeah time flies when you're having fun though doesn't it it does it really does and um, you're an honorary Scots woman now I would say you spend I'm, enough time up here that you're you're one of the clan I am part of the clan well my dad's Scottish as well Although of course, of course. he's lost his, uh, I always say he's lost his accent, but he's retained his hatred for the English, which, <laughs> is, <laughs> which is such a weird, like kind of self-hating. I was like, that's your voice. That's what you sound like. So, you know, my gran was a pure East Coast Scottish gran, you know, and my auntie, in fact, who emigrated to America in the 60s, I think, All right. still has a real brogue. Is that where's she? In, is, where's she in America, Tiff? She's in Cleveland now, but she got on the phone to Paul because Paul had never spoken to her before, and he was like, "Oh my God, she's so Scottish." America just didn't take it away. In fact, I, I think probably, and we'll talk about this a bit, but I think sometimes when you travel abroad, you put, I find myself becoming more like London. Um, yes. in order to kind of retain, hold on to this kind of thing. It's your identity. I think I think you, f you find strength in, in your, your identity the more you travel and your roots. And I'm sure you've felt this as well. But when, 
when I was a teenager, all I wanted to do was get the hell out of Scotland. I was like, I want to travel. I, you know, I might never be back. And then as more, the more I've travelled elsewhere, the more I realise how much I love about Scotland, how much it defines who I am as a human, as well as, you know, a creative, and my perspective on art is, is affected by being in Scotland. How did you end up doing this? How did you end up being, because, and I want to say rock star, and then I'm sure you'll probably balk at the, like, because... I'll take it. I'll, this year I'll take it. <laughs> Call me a pop star, I don't care. <laughs> Um, but like, is it, was it by design or was it happy accident that you, that you, that you're doing what you do now? Was this always the plan? Well, I started playing violin when I was like five years old and, and I, I, looking back, I definitely fell in love with music doing that for five or six years. But it was when I picked up the guitar, at, I got a guitar when I was like 12 for my Christmas or something. And that was almost the day that happened. I decided this is what I want to do with my life. You know, I realized very, very young. And actually, I was looking through an old school. Someone sent me an old school kind of magazine or whatever it was. And, and it was like, it was our final year. And it was like, what do you want to, to be? And I, I said, I want to be a, a musician. I don't care what type of musician. I don't care if I'm in a band or I just want to make music. That's what I want to do with my life. And it was, it was interesting to read the 16-year-old me saying exactly kind of how I feel now. You know, it's like I, I don't really care how I get to do this. But this is such an integral part of who I am, you know. It's right. it's it's just part of my identity, and I think that that occurred at a right early age. But it, it's strange though, because there wasn't lots of music in in my house. You know, my mum would listen to a little bit of music. I would listen to Dionne Warwick with my mum in the car, and Tina Turner, and Roxette, and Eurythmics, and Bruce Springsteen, and, and Chris. I was going to say, you you remind me of Springsteen, just in that you're a hometown boy. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, like I I always think of. I always think of, I was like, oh, because you've, that's, that's a definite, and Scottishness is such a part of Biffy's music, although it's not a particularly Scottish sound. Yeah. I always think of it just like running. It's like tartan veins, right? <laughs> like it's there. <laughs> tartan blood, I love that. <laughs> the party's starting because the tartan's marching. Um, it's, it's definitely, it's a real big part of my worldview in my identity. The, the music I loved as a, as a, when I was just becoming a teenager was probably similar to you, Tiff. I think it was Guns N' Roses first and then yes. I went into Nirvana and everything kind of went a bit more into the kind of grunge and then I went American Underground and I found some weirder bands. But, but it was Guns N' Roses was the first thing that I saw as a child in Scotland and I was like, what is that? What are they doing? Who are these guys? They look like weird sex aliens with weird clothes. And I was like, I want a piece of that. I want to be part of that. You know? <laughs> was that was that in Axel's kilt phase? Yeah, I tell you what, it was. And that was that was looking back, that was probably a big part of my connection and my identity with Axel Rose because I have very little in common with him, to be quite <laughs> honest. But seeing him in that kilt, I was like, you look cool as fuck, you know. And he was he just Doc Mart. I mean, I, I loved Axel. I know you do too. We, we're yeah, two of the yeah. people that will defend Axel to the death, you know, like. <laughs> Regardless for all the is wrongs that he's done or the things he's done wrong, like he was a lunatic, like a proper, the last actual rock star where he danced to the beat of his own drum. He really didn't give a shit. He looked ludicrous all the time. And his, <laughs> and his voice, is, see when you actually, if you think of Axl Rose's voice out of context, it's a total banshee. He's like a banshee in the moors, you know, like I don't even know how he makes it happen. <laughs> Were there other influences? So whether those were filmmakers or artists? Yeah, absolutely. I've always 
all my influences to my music have always come from different different fields. You know, even when I was younger, I remember watching a Richard Pryor documentary, or not, no, it must have been just a stand-up when I was young, and I had no idea what he was talking about. And it was a part of the world I was unaware of. It was a culture that I was kind of unaware of being in the west coast of Scotland. And, and it was like these parts of humanity open up to you. You know, because when you're, when you're growing up, everything's like that. And then you hope to reach a point where everything goes like that. So I would discover writers I would enjoy. You know, not long after Richard Pryor, I discovered Bill Hicks, who had a massive influence on in me. I listened to Bill Hicks nonstop for about four years or something, like all his records and everything. I knew it all word for word. And... And it's kind of hard to explain now because some of it can seem very caustic now when you look back and some of his perspectives maybe don't, don't stand up as well in 2021 perhaps as they did back then and some of the jokes maybe aren't quite as funny. But this was a guy that really questioned. He was, as far as I knew, and you could probably tell me if I'm wrong, like maybe Sam Kinison and, and things like that before were perhaps given that kind of preacher, that kind of here's what's wrong with the world and, and, and this is how you fix it. And... and, and and Bill Hicks was the first one that I picked up on that was talking about gun laws. He was talking about the cultural differences around the world, talking about drugs, which for religion. a young man... Religion. Religion, you know, a young man at, at that age, or young person, you know, any teenager, you feel like you're impressionable. And hearing these kind of... His thoughts and, and, and how he was coming to his opinions just really mattered to me. And it, as I say, that kind of was coincided with my deep dive into kind of underground music and everything. So... Yeah, Bill was big for me. I was also a big Mitch Hedberg fan, but he that was more in a kind of, he just straight up makes me laugh. You know, like Bill makes you think. I think it's agitators. Music's supposed to agitate, right? Yes. And comedians in that sense are supposed to agitate, question the status quo, shake things up. And I, I'm a huge fan of Carlin. And one of the, uh, I remember seeing an interview of George Carlin years ago where someone says to him, you're seen as a shock comic. Are you? Does that upset you? And he said, "Well, shock's just another form of surprise, which all comedy is based on." So no. <laughs> what a great line! It's so true, isn't it? I mean, yeah. But but you're, it's the agitator. I think you're right. It's that element. It's that kind of like sticking it to the man, the ins, you know, the institutions. It's like just don't take everything at face value. It's like learning that such a such a valuable lesson to learn as a young person. I think and. Um, I'm not so familiar with George Carlin. I know his stuff, how influential he was and everything, but I'm not so familiar with Carlin. Although I did, I was watching something with Stephen Wright the other night. Who, who's He's great. I'm, I was familiar with him, but just his delivery and everything is just so... I mean, that's... What was he, 80s? Was he maybe even 70s? 80s, yeah. 80s that I know of, but probably doing stuff in the yeah, 70s okay, I mean, as well, yeah. All great comics. It's like... It's it's a lifetime of experience and understanding, you know, and you, you know that more than anyone. It's like good comedy doesn't doesn't come overnight, you know, and maybe for some people it does. And same as music, you know, it's like maybe some people can wake up one day and be this complete glory, you know, and they've got everything figured <laughs> out top to bottom. But most of us find our way and you pick up the things you like, you pick up the perspectives you like and, 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 and you end up with with you. You know, you, it becomes your identity, you know, after after a few years. So when you were sort of growing up on your way to becoming what you are now. Mm -hmm. So this sounds like there's quite a lot of an American influence. Were there Scottish artists and filmmakers or anything like that that you kind of looked to and went, oh, or was it very much? Because I felt that as well during the 80s. There was so much of that. We're kids of the 80s that American culture sort of dominated and influenced and seemed exciting because yes. it wasn't ours. Th that was it. I think the main thing was to want to be something that felt 
exotic and kind of alien. That that was what appealed to me. I think the the one I guess Scottish actor like Annie Lennox and Eurythmics. Looking back, were probably the the main kind of Scottish. And I know Dave Stewart isn't Scottish, but they had a massive impact. Part of that was, as I said earlier, my mum would always have Eurythmics albums in the car, and and and. It was years of listening to them before I even realised that Annie Lennox was Scottish and just she was just such an important figure culturally as well as a pop star. You know, looking back now, I think it's so apparent, but to see someone so fearless from Scotland just taking the world by storm, doing doing like sisters are doing it for themselves, singing that, you know, doing soul music, doing pop music, you know, dressing as, as you know, gender-free as could possibly be back in the early 80s, you know, just just a real... I mean, almost a punk rock figure, I would say. You know, someone like Annie Lennox, you know, when, it, when I look back at that, it's like she, she influenced a lot of my thoughts in how what art should be and how it should have those moments of going, oh, I don't know what this is. Do I like this? This is pushing buttons, you know, and, 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 but never mind the songs. She's an agitator and an activist, right? So she definitely was someone who spoke up on a number of causes and has always has done. Absolutely, and actually, she's she's got this wonderful organisation now called the Circle, which I've done a couple of things for, and it's just it helps women all around the world. Just the opportunities that that some girls don't have, obviously, and sadly, it's in country, some parts of the world where people, it's, it should have been fixed long ago. But it's just it's just about bringing equal opportunities to all parts of the world, you know. And and I just think it's such a wonderful thing. And for someone like Annie Lennox, who doesn't doesn't need to do that you know and I know that's the wrong perspective but you know it's like a lot of people just make their millions and then they kick back and it's like cool I'll sit and enjoy my three homes and all around the world but she seems to still have such a fire in her belly and and, and the desire to still change you know because change and progress doesn't stop it's not like you hit a point where cool right we're all happy right, right good <laughs> you know it, it's like that doesn't happen it's a it's a constant change and 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 that's what I like, and that's what Annie Lennox, having kind of seen her even throughout my life, just seen she's always she's always mattered, and I think that's hard to do. I think that's hard to do. That's a really, really that's very beautiful, a beautiful way you've summed that up, and I agree completely. And there's a great quote out there somewhere, and it might be Hemingway. I seem to attribute a lot of stuff to Hemingway that may not have been Hemingway. <laughs> F and doubt, it was Ernie. Ernie did it. <laughs> but it's about how a river changes the landscape around it. So gradually, over time, the force and pressure. And I feel that with like any movements or any social change or whatever. Because, and I do think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting about whether you think art has a responsibility to do that or whether art needs to be art and then the, the people picking up the mantle from there. Do you think music should be creating social change? I think it does. I think art does. I think... Because it's the first thing when you b become a teenager and everything. That's what, what influences you. That's what informs you. You know, it's not it's not your teacher necessarily at school that you're looking to for guidance as to how to live your life or, or how to view the world. It's 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 your friends. You know, well, in our day, it was like someone would pass me an album or a book or something, and I would, and I would take it seriously because I was you know, and it would it would affect how I'm viewing things. I think more than ever. Art and everything, music and films are important, especially at this moment in time. I feel that like we're in such a. I, I hope I'm not wrong, but I feel that like the floodgates have opened now, and now we're on the right direction. That that's what I feel. I feel like 
music isn't going to make people go out and, and fight a war. It's not about that, or you know, it, but it's about awakening your mind. It's about becoming aware of where you stand in the world. Someone, you know, it's tough for me as a white man as well because I've grown up and everywhere, everywhere I looked, it was like a there was white men as heroes, you know, and it's like okay, great. The, the, the great interest in change now is even rock music and guitars. Like I think some like 80% of guitars bought in the last two years have been by girls. And it's like, you can't tell me that's not important. You can't tell me the act, the act of, of a girl picking, you know, and, and it, sh it should have been like this a long time ago. But that now influences the next generation to go, yeah, yeah, of course I'm picking up guitar. Of course I'm doing this. I can do whatever the f I want. There's no, there's no limitations. And I think that comes from art more than anything, even... You know, whether, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not in a position to be talking about race or sexism and things, but what I see is that that's how things can move forward. That's how I'm getting educated about things, is through art, books, movies. It's not because I'm sitting necessarily reading page upon page of studies from Harvard or whatever, you know, like I'm... And most people don't. That's where the, the influence, I suppose, the cultural influence does come from films and TV and mm -hmm. how we think about things and we don't realise it sets ideas in our mind about how we see the world. Is there anything that particularly on that point like kind of challenged you, like a film that you saw or an album that you listened to or oh. a book that you read? Or For me, it was a musical kind of awakening I got. And, and it, for me, it was more discovering kind of the avant-garde. I felt it was like a moment where I was like, everything I knew kind of evaporated at that point. And, and I wish it was something perhaps more more important of an awakening but I, I just remember in my my late teenage years discovering like listening to Mike Patton who's a singer of faith no more but he had a few mad albums that he made himself and he there was one album in particular called adult themes for voice which is the weirdest he just recorded himself doing weird mouth sounds and <laughs> <laughs> hotel rooms and he released a record and I remember hearing that record and it really it deconstructed everything I thought that recorded music was or even what art was you know it was not long after that after that that I saw El Topo for the first time the Jodorowsky movie and and I think at that moment I was like suddenly there's there's actually no rules you know th that was that was probably the biggest impact for, for me in that small era of of discovering properly the avant-garde how there's there's you can Rules are there to be broken. And then I was lucky enough to meet a couple of friends at university that guitar-wise and everything showed me how, like, just how the guitar is like a tool. It's not necessarily chords, chords, chords. You can do whatever you want. So, so that was like the big moment for me. Then, then I mean, in the last kind of few years, there's been there's been lots. You know, there's Blue is the Warmest Color is a beautiful movie. There's um, obviously Moonlight. I know that Paul and you, yeah. like that. That was you know just these moments you you never forget when you've watched movies like that because you feel that you come out the other side changed and, and just more aware and you know I don't think entertainment always has to educate but see if it can without even you know without you even realizing I think that's the beauty of and of the best art. I think that's the best example because often if it feels like you're trying to have a teachable moment or you feel like you're trying to teach someone with a thing I think it can be off-putting especially when we're out of school when adults are like I did school I don't need to you know sometimes <laughs> there's there's a bit of that kind of so it's always about disguising and I say this in comedy if it looks like I'm trying to tell a joke ugh, like I'm always trying to disguise that a joke's happening yes, <laughs> you know of course so, no, you're, you're right because because otherwise it makes people fold their arms and it's like okay either impress me educate me or make me laugh whereas yeah. you, you won't people kind of off guard because that's when things happen and 
And that's what's so tough about the world at the moment, Tiff, is it like, you know, rightly or wrongly, we're, we're all like that. You know, see when it's, I mean, I'm bad. If I speak to someone whose who's opinions I find objectionable, I'm, I'm not the best at, at kind of being open with it. I'm kind of like, <laughs> well, that's a pig-headed perspective, you know, and I'm not interested. And I need to be able to learn, you know, like to get position myself to be more open with, when it's not art. You know, yes. to like to enter a situation and not and not necessarily go in with with my perspective decided that I know I don't like this person's opinion and these things, so actually I'm not even gonna kind of engage. You know, and unfortunately, most of my friends and family I, I agree wholeheartedly with, and I think I'm sure you're the same. There, there's there's yeah, I mean, I'll debate with my mum on feminism. I was thinking about this the other day, like, and then I forget that her views and ideas about it are shaped by the period of time that she came through in the 60s, which was supposed to be this whole like kind of hedonistic modernity and all of that. But actually there were lots of systems in that which just further oppress women or put them into a different, you know, and how much I think that generation of, not all of them, but have internalized certain things. Yes. But we have discussions. I remember like the Wayne Rooney thing, like Wayne Rooney having an affair, my mom going, um, that girl who slept with Wayne Rooney knew he was married when she slept with him. Oh, and, that's and classic. I, and I went, Wayne Rooney knew he was married when yeah. he slept with that girl. <laughs> like. I know. It, like, And that that's the thing. Like, Looking back, it's like, how apparently wrong is that? But it was just the way things were described. And your mum's not wrong for, for having been raised in that era. But my yeah. God, doesn't it sound wrong now? And even, not, not to get dead serious but this the lady that's been in the news the last couple of days sarah you know to see some of the tweets of people go oh you know she shouldn't be walking through a park in the dark and things like that it's like i think you're missing the point here you know and and it's a yeah. real it's it becomes a bit it be, i can't tell if it's people being dark with their opinions or whether it's genuine genuine ignorance, ignorance. yeah you know yeah i mean frankie my, my wife you know she's I feel that Frankie's taught me more in the last ten years about what what equality is and how the the places to weird like the institutional sexism and things are things that I'm so unaware of. And Frankie, a few years ago, was saying that to me, like, you know, I, I I'm I can't walk, I would never walk anywhere with headphones in my ears. She says, you know, and I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, because I mean, I feel in danger, you know, and and that that's so wrong. That's so wrong to put. That responsibility on, oh, oh, well, you did have headphones on or you're wearing a short skirt, weren't you? Well, you know, it's like, what the f***? And she did everything that you're supposed to do. And, you know, it's it's about, oh, it's so big. It's huge. It's about changing a society and changing attitudes and seeing women as fully human. And, and men taking f***ing responsibility. And boys, like, parents, tell your boys how to behave, you know. And, yes. and there's always yeah. going to be, excuse my French, there's always going to be c***s out there. We can't do away with everyone who's a bad bastard. But why can't we just educate folk to know? And 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 I feel quite lucky that I feel that amongst my friends, even though we are like a younger generation than the kids coming up just now, obviously, it's I feel that we all kind of understood that to a certain extent. You know, I, th I know there's parts that I've taken for granted and I've not appreciated my privilege in certain situations, but but my God, most people I feel lucky that most of the people I know would never have that perspective. And it's like Yes, it, yeah. So hopefully that it does show that things are changing because we're the equivalent age of our parents were when when we were what ten you know maybe yeah. ten years old or something yeah and, yeah and I'd like to think I've got a much more advanced perspective you know I'm always talking to my dad about 
the way the world is now and trying to kind of get him to open up his mind and some things he'll never change his opinion on and other things I can see him actively waking up and going, oh, I, don't, I saw that, read this the other day and I don't like it, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> brilliant. I'm like, wow, you know, you brought that up with me, dad. And it's it's really interesting to me because like my like my mum and dad, I think my mum voted Labour, my dad always voted Conservative and it's taken this pandemic to have my dad go, I hate the Tories. That's exactly the convo I'm having. That's exactly it. <laughs> Which it's, is- There's no denying it. There's yeah. no denying it now. It's stark, it's black and white, you know. And, and you can feel it on a day-to-day and you go, okay, it just, it means it's taken for you to feel it, to kind of understand how they don't get. Yeah. Well, everything was so kind of vague before, you know, it's like now it's like it's right on your doorstep, like the impact of certain decisions being made. And I think everything can sometimes feel abstract, you know, you know, if things feel too much of a distance, it's like, well, I don't even know if, if I'm having any influence in this. And now it's like, well, we're all we've all been impacted, so let's let's pull together, you know. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. What's your sort of earliest, I guess, memory of a moment of political activism or politics? Like your first, there were the poll tax riots when I was a kid, or I remember seeing Thatcher on TV and my mum hated Thatcher. Yeah. So what was your first kind of moment like that? It would be the minor strikes. I remember the minor strikes and Natalia a lot. I remember Scargill and Kinnock. I remember not really understanding what was going on, but watching these the, the police and the riots and everything and just thinking, what the hell is going on? And I, obviously, as I got older, I appreciated that it was entire livelihoods were being ripped up and thrown away and sold to the highest bidder. So, I, you know, I understood it more when I was older. But I remember being, I was, pro, I must have been, I mean, what year was that? 86 or something? I must have been five yeah. or six years old. So very young. But I just, I remember, I couldn't quite understand why, things would turn to that level of violence because in the telly it was it seemed like a political thing but you know because it was Thatcher you know just sailing everything off I think as I got older members of my family like worked for the British Gas and British Rail and things so it, so as I got older I became more educated as to why and how you know horrific and kind of callous a lot of Thatcher's decisions were but just to see people literally fighting for their livelihoods and being beaten the f*** up by police, you know, um, it just, it, it, it woken something. I mean, I, there's a few images even from back then that I still have in my brain. And I don't know if it's from having seen 
the footage since, but I feel that there's a few things that were just singed on my brain that I'll never forget, you know? Yeah. I feel like politics now is maybe is maybe different even from when we grew up, where it felt like it was it was perspectives where, and, and maybe opinions, whereas now I, I, it's almost like it's more deep-rooted than it ever was in that it's... I, I kind of view it as right and wrong a bit more these days, and maybe that's... Yeah. Maybe I'm naive and maybe people felt like that back then, but I feel like there's... You're either kind of the right side of things or the wrong side of things. I feel that there's there's an awful lot that's undebatable. There's an awful lot that gets debated that shouldn't be getting debated. Like, see, when you think of, like, you know, climate deniers and stuff, when they get a when they get a pedestal or a forum, it's like, wait, wait, that that's not valid. Just because you know, like, that, that's not actually a valid perspective. It's not right. You're wrong. You know, that's scientifically you're wrong. It's proven. <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah, proven. It's, it's, <laughs> but you but you give pedestals to people in that instance, and it's like, and it's the same with with race, whether people are speaking against Black Lives Matter. It's like, what well, you actually shouldn't be given a, a pedestal if you don't believe that Black Lives Matter. You know, like, yeah, of course there's nuance. There's you know you can have conversation about anything, but it's that's not a valid perspective, and it's not fascistic or, or like if that's the right way to say that to 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 deny certain things. I could sit and tell you right now, your hair's brown. And I could talk to you for ages about your hair being brown. It's like, well, no, no, I've got, I've got blonde hair. Yeah. You know, and it's not, it's not a valid thing to be doing. I could argue it. I could, you know. Anyway, I'm, I may be missing the, I may be losing my mind here. No, 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 no. I, no, I completely agree. And then what happens is sometimes. So I was asked to do this thing for the Economist, this sort of panel, mm -hmm. and I agreed to do it. And it was like a post Me Too panel, and then they booked Steve Bannon. Oh wow! We all sort of dropped out. But then part of me was like, have I done the right thing there? Because all I've done is ensure that my voice hasn't been heard. Yeah, and his will. Yeah, you're and right. And his has. So the question about whether they should have given him a platform in the, you know, mm. like you say, like some people you go, that's that's not a debate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like eugenics and not a debate. <laughs> exactly. Me too is not a debate either. You know, it's like that. That's not a debate. That is finally everything coming to the surface. You know, there's no, there's no debate. You can you can talk about many aspects of it, but you can't debate whether these things are happening and are valid and are real. You know, that that's where my, that's where people lose me is if they just, this, and it's a conspiracy era we're in as well, isn't it? It's like everything can, can be kind of shuffled to the side with a, we've yeah, gone but, into but a zebra, a zebra ate a hamburger and that's why that happened. And you're like, what? You know, like <laughs> just there's no, you know, like you can't, there's certain things that are unarguable because it's, they're nonsensical, you know? And I think yeah. if we're all able to be rational and, and as I say, I'm including myself at this because sometimes I can be guilty of putting walls up and thinking, I don't want to hear it. But actually if we're all a bit more rational, I think we'll get somewhere healthy a lot quicker, you know? So two things that I wanted to, to talk about. Scottishness. So we spoke briefly at the beginning about you feeling that sense of identity. And when I spoke with Armando, it was about Scottish Italianness. And you made the decision to kind of stay. You live in the town that you're from. Mm -hmm. Was there ever pressure to go, you've got to go to London to do this, or you have to go and live in America for, you know, at the beginning of your career? And how much did you think your Scottishness played a part in how you were talked about and yeah, what that meant. It was definitely, didn't feel pressure as such. A lot of people would say, oh, you're not moving to London, you need to get down to London. And whenever anyone says to me, like, you need to do this or, or listen to this, you'll love it. 
I'm, my initial reaction is like, I don't think I will. How do you know? You don't know me well. <laughs> so when people would say, oh, you need to go to London, it, it made me kind of think, well, no, we don't actually. Why do we need to go to London? You know, this is, this is who we are. So it was probably a bit of obstinacy initially. Then after a while, I think it became impossible to leave. We started to travel so much that I, I feel like I'm kind of in a cocoon here to a certain extent. And that when I'm creating, this is where I feel like my defenses come down and I can be myself and, and I feel, still feel attached to who I was as a teenager. Because cr being creative is like, you don't really want to be thinking too much. There's such a, especially with music, there's such a, a feel and an emotive part you need to channel. And it's not really, if you use your brain too much, it, it clouds it and it becomes a cerebral thing or an intellectual thing. And, and the best music, I think, is, is from the heart. And, and I'm sure someone could argue why the best music isn't from the heart and that's fine. But for me, music that comes from the heart and like this kind of almost magical coming down from God, if I believed in God, coming down from God himself, you know, to like say, here you've been touched, you know, that kind of thing, or herself, I should say. That's why I, I, I never then thought about moving away after that. Right. Do you feel like being home grounds you so the people around you remind you of who you are? Because as a, as a rock star <laughs> and a part of like a mega, mega successful band, the three of you are probably like the most down to earth people. Like, like for the level of success, it, it always kind of like, it kind of stuns me every now and again. I remember, I think it was a, was it Sonosphere? Well, you did your first headline at a festival. Was that yeah, your first? That was our first ever. Yeah. So, you, and you were like, I remember you were following Weezer. Yeah, that's <laughs> you right. You were like <laughs> a band you'd listened to growing up, right? Yeah, they were a big deal to us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so this was like your big moment. You're headlining this festival. And, I, and I'd been doing comedy. I think I'd, I'd been, I can't remember if I'd a hosting or I was doing a spot. Steve O. <laughs> Steve O was on after me. <laughs> It was that came kind out, of festival. Wasn't it? Yeah, came out immediately, like tried to do a joke, wasn't working. So he got his knob out, um, <laughs> which I feel like is what the crowd wanted. So fair Yeah, play. that's like a metaphor for so much, isn't it? <laughs> Staple something to it. I think yeah. that was like the immediate, like, we're not here for conversation. We're here for you to. Yeah, we want to see some meat. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Graphically injure yourself. Um, oh my God. But I, we came backstage and it might have been like 20 minutes before you were due up and you guys were like how was your gig oh my god and I was like you're about to like headline your first festival and I couldn't believe that you asked me or you cared that much but it's a testament to how unaffected I think oh with that, that's definitely been the definitely the Scottishness helps with that but I think also it's for me it's definitely I I, I try and not think about what I'm about to do it's a defense mechanism I'd much rather before show, not think about the show. I, I, I would I, sometimes I get panicky if I think about it too much, and 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 I can feel overwhelmed at points. I'm sure you know. I'm not sure if there's moments in your career as well where you've felt like that. But sometimes if you engage too much with what you're doing, you can think, "Oh my god!" Like because it's because so, it's insane to stand me and my two friends to stand in a stage in front of forty thousand people and play our <laughs> songs. Like that, that's insane, you know. And if I th if I dwelled in that for too long, I would I would probably lose my mind. So I feel security and and the closeness, you know, of seeing you and Paul that day. It's like like this this make, brings me calmness, makes me makes me who I am, you know. Will will reground me to go onto that stage and 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 just to the, the kind of second part of your question earlier when you talked about it is 
a defining characteristic from people outside. You know, they might, we are always described as Scottish rock band, you know, so there is something to it. I'm really proud of it. But just when you said, yeah, people definitely put us in a box with that. It's like, it's never just rock band, British rock band, it's Scottish rock band, Biffy Clyro. You know, you know, I don't really have that much of an issue with it, but it's, it's curious that it happens all the time, you know, in the press, or certainly the UK press, you know, I would say around, around the world it doesn't really happen so much, you know. It's um, it's interesting. Paul and I were watching a thing about the Scottish Highlands, a travel show, the other day, and nice. it said like the the most northern part of Britain. And he was like, Scotland. Like he was just like <laughs> just this kind of thing of like. And I think because Paul is outside of Scotland, I often wonder that because his experience is the opposite. He's in London, yes, um, as a Scottish person. And then as soon as he comes back to air, I I feel he gets more uh huh uh huh Scottish. I can okay. hear these little uh huh. You know those kind of little like bits of bits of him, and he he needs that. It's like a cup that needs to be filled. Yes, and I I know from his point of view though as well. And I'd be very interested to see how you answer this, whether it's a Scottish trait that he there's a almost like not humbleness, but Scottish people don't like to toot their own horn I think I remember having might have been the show you came to see actually but I had a bit in an Edinburgh show about Donald Trump and how you could tell he didn't spend much time around Scottish people because <laughs> yeah. they just wouldn't tolerate that ego <laughs> no way and part of the reason to go to to the Edinburgh fringe is to kind of go to test it in front of people who, who are a bit like who do you think you are it's just shape pal. Yes. like yeah, they're not exactly. gonna hold back <laughs> it is so true and, it, and it's the opposite of the it's not the attitude of impress me it's just like why should we get excited you know it's like there, there's a there's a real honesty and and, and I th you're so right that the humbleness is is so part of who we are if anyone gets too big for their boots then they just people don't have it you know even now i still get people going oh you're still doing your your music thing you know and it's like it's like <laughs> Yeah, but what, my job? You know, this is my, <laughs> what, the love of my life, the thing I've devoted every ounce of my energy. Yeah. But I find that so healthy. I find that really healthy, and especially being being in a band because you're in your bubble. You know, like there's there's some years where I've been, we've been 10 months on the road and in a bubble we are playing shows night after night. And if I, I, I feel like if I didn't have that Scottishness at points or that kind of s sense of, of, of kind of... Uh, having your feet in the ground that's maybe the wrong way to put it but but if, if i didn't remain have one foot in that the whole time i think i would have lost my mind years ago i think we all would have you know and, and i think that's what's kind of kept us so together myself ben and james you know to your listeners if they don't know anything about the band it's you know the, i've known the boys from when we were six years old this we started this band when we were 10 or 11 the people in there you know paul your wonderful fiance he's been my friend since we were four or five we went to primary school together so I feel very lucky that everyone important in my life I've known for a long time so I've never felt the need to kind of change who I am or to because you know that way I'm sure you've felt it you go to certain parties and things or you go to certain evenings out and and it's hard to not to kind of alter who you are ever so slightly because you're maybe surrounded by loads of people and you're like and see whenever I get home after a night like that and I feel, feel like dirty. I feel dirty. I feel like I've been, oh, I was puffing my chest out tonight, you know, trying to, you know, and it's like, and it's so not me and I get home and I feel embarrassed and then I can't get to sleep because I'm like, 
oh, I shouldn't have said that. I came across as so arrogant, you know. And it's like, <laughs> and it's such a Scottish thing because I don't think most people would necessarily worry about that aspect. You of get the, no, you get the shame, shame sort of spiral a bit. You know that like post fifteen like, minutes of shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh. And also because you want to be seen as, and sometimes when you meet people who you love and respect, you want them to see you in your fullest capacity. You want them to meet you in the world of doing the thing that you are good at and so it's different Mm. if you go bump into someone at a party or on the street that you are a fan of they may not know what you do (laughs) you want to meet them where you go they're seeing me on stage or they've heard my album so that we are it doesn't feel yeah the work's kind the work's kind of done so yeah that the the context is there yeah i know but but other times you're like yeah oh yeah you know i try and can you not tell by my beard that i sing (laughs) you know (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Or do you know, do you not know who I think I am? You know that <laughs> To go back to your music, mm-hmm. was it a conscious thing? Like, I think there's a lot of because a lot of the, your songs are personal, or me, you know, there's metaphors and stuff in there. But like, grief is something that you've touched upon in your songs. And yeah. when when you when you were writing those, were you conscious of like? doing that to help other people or was it a way of you just processing your own personal kind of trauma it was just kind of processing my own kind of feelings of guilt and 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 everything else you do you know everyone i mean everyone sadly loses someone in their lives and you go through these different stages and it and it kind of depends how initially you're taken by surprise so so for me when i when i lost my mom it kind of came out of left field and 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 it happened when I was on tour and I had to come home. So I, I had so many complicated feelings about even, you know, just music being a, a reason that I wasn't there. And then and then I started to write these songs to, as, as, and it was the first songs that I kind of wrote from first person perspective where I was genuinely putting myself in the songs and not just trying to print, paint pretty pictures and, and kind of be, you know, esoteric and a bit off the wall, you know, and this was the first time when it was like, this is what I'm expressing. I, c- I couldn't, I couldn't honestly have expressed anything else. I had no, no other room in my brain or my heart for anything other than what I was going through at that moment. Then when the album came out and it ended up becoming like our biggest record and I, I really struggled with guilt with that for a few years because it, I still do a little bit thinking about that period. I'm like, God, the, the reason I'm still doing this now is because of that record. and But yeah, it was, it was something that I wish I could change and I wish hadn't happened. And, and at points I think, have I exploited that? You know, and I don't believe I have because to no. me music and all art has to be an expression of things that matter and are important. And to me, the, all the things that I love throughout my life have been something that where someone's really kind of put their neck in the line and really tried to, to say something with weight to it and with importance and so but I'd certainly battled with that for a few years you know because I would be I'd, we'd be doing like our biggest gig ever at points and I would be coming off and, and and crying afterwards you know not to get too grim about it but you know literally coming off because my emotions were so mixed coming off and wanting to kind of tell my mum that hey we've just done this great thing and then just been you know so going from the highest high to the lowest low and um thankfully I eventually got through that but yeah it was but it was important for me, and, and since then, I realise that it's more important that the songs helped other people now. You know, like, I, I feel lucky that a lot of our fans have had a long relationship with us, and the amount of conversations I've had with people that that's just helped them kind of deal with, 
just to even know someone else was out there going through a similar thing. It's not that you, you kind of make anyone realize anything that they won't discover themselves. It's just that you're not alone. You know, we all go through this. And, and so, so it now gives me great strength, the fact that I wrote those songs. And when I sing those songs now, weirdly, I feel a sense of joy because, because I, I, you know, they did change my life, those songs. I know they've helped other people. And, and I just think it's wonderful that you know, music can be shared like that and that my song, that people care about my songs as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely through the battle. So you've literally had the five stages of grief with the music itself. Absolutely. And, and, and I know at points I should potentially have, have kind of removed myself from, from being in a touring band, you know, to, to kind of maybe do that process out with, but because I think I would maybe have got over things quicker. But when I look back, I'm, I'm glad that I kind of, that it's all in the music. You know, basically... I, I feel like every time I make a record, it's kind of like that's where I am as a human being at that point. By the time the next record comes around, it's it's about being in another moment, in another stage of either evolution, of growth, of education, of grief, of love, you know. And Because every time we finish a project, we're, we're just actually in the middle of doing our companion album to A Celebration of Endings, which came out last year. So we're just in the middle of recording that at the moment. And... And after every album, I have to get rid of every idea, every song idea that's complete or incomplete. I have to clear the decks so that in the next stage of my life, I'm starting from scratch. And it's truly a representation of where I am at that moment. Basically, I normally have like a few months where I just kind of splurge and I let everything come out and I try and not overthink anything. I don't even worry about if they're going to be biffy songs as such. You know, I've got a few other projects that I work on, so I just let a bunch of music come out. It'll kind of take shape. There'll be a few important songs that I, that I know will then become the spine of the album. And then the rest, I can kind of change the shape, change the anatomy of it. You know, so like that's the skeleton, and then I can change the anatomy of it if I want. But it, it kind of ends up telling me what it needs to be. You know, I, th I think if if... I try. I, I don't really have much of an ego when I'm listening to my music. I can be quite brutal. Like, see if I can work for it on a song for a few months and then just go shite, delete. You know, <laughs> you know. I don't. I, I kind of have learned that as I've gotten older that actually, I, I take strength in that. I find it easier to be that brutal with it than than kind of like trying to just nurture something that's not quite coming together. So, I find it easier to be brutal yeah that's how I do it I definitely write I handwrite all my lyrics I find that so important it lodges in my brain I feel it saturates and in, in, in my mind and kind of percolates and it, and it kind of comes back in different waves so because I quite often do a few different drafts of my lyrics as well you know they never come out right first time you know I always need a little bit of um, manipulation and things but um but yeah I like I like everything to be tactile I mean up until our album Opposites, which was like our sixth album, every song up until that moment, we never recorded. I would keep it all in my brain. And and, wow. and, I, and I hit a real, I mean, I was useless at real life. You know, all, all I was good at was like, <laughs> dee, 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 You know, like, what would you want for lunch? <laughs> dee, 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 dee. Um, so, so I'm really pleased with the technology we have now. Because now I can, I can kind of, use, I, sadly, I use my phone for a lot of my ideas just as, as storage, oh, you know. Like, yes, like me too, me too. If you're out and about, you, you're not carrying a notepad, right? You've got your phone, exactly. so you go, got, this, this, this. 
Yeah, the amount of things I've got, my phone just goes, one, two, three, do, 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 bo, ha, ha. You know, that kind of thing, like, thinking I'm going to remember exactly what I meant as well, but... You can release that as an album, like Mike Patton. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I know. <laughs> That'll be childish themes for voice rather than adult themes for voice. But, but I love it, and, and also, I realise as I get older that creativity, it, it doesn't always happen the same way. You know, you know like... like Sometimes when I when I really cons- think something hard and working it hard, it can be it can make something beautiful. And other times I'm like, oh, I've killed that dead, you know. And and sometimes some songs I spend an hour working on and they, and they feel so complete. And others you can spend, as I say, weeks on. So I, I'm I'm always at the mercy of the result, you know. For me, it's like I always say, song is king. You know, I don't care how. How a song gets there, it's how it makes me feel when I listen back. So I, I always aim to get a level of goosebump, you know, when I'm listening back to my music, whether it's a chord change that makes me go, oh, yeah, that's that's what that song is. That song's about that chord change or, or it's a lyric. And I'm like, that. the lyric is, is the heart, the beating heart of that song. So it does change, change for different kind of projects, I guess, in different songs. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything like in terms of process, things that have been revolutionary to you in terms of your work, like whether it's meditation or whether it's, you know. Me- meditation helped a lot for me. You know, I, I started, I had, a, I had a bit of a, I had a nervous breakdown like after we made our double album Opposites and, and, and it was a kind of long, it was a tough, it was a tough couple of years basically and, and, and we just did lots of kind of inner turmoil in the band and, and, and I, I worked on this record for six months non-stop every day in the studio and, and I'm so proud of the record but a few months later I just hit a wall at the airport, we landed in Toronto and I just had the worst do and, and, and it was it was awful. So that, that was a right reset for me in that it's not wrong to be able to switch off at sometimes. I, I think up until that point, I felt like, see if I wasn't living it and breathing it and every moment of the day was like, if I was singing a song about a struggle or, or anger or, or sadness, I had to feel it. And it really took its toll and I realized that actually there's moment you can kind of, it's not wrong to want to survive this life and, and yes. to want to kind of be, right. be, I mean, comforts the kind of, uh, the enemy almost of creativity, but to be satisfied or feel okay sometimes isn't a sin, doesn't mean that art loses its value, it just means that you value yourself and maybe want to at least have a semblance of joyful life, you know, and at that point I was so focused on the album, I was so focused on, you know, just the tough things that were happening in my life, it just became this overwhelming thing and I was like, I've left, I've actually squeezed everything out myself that I could and I had left nothing of me as a person. I was I was a songwriter for the band, I was creating music and there was nothing left as me, Simon Neil, you know, and I learned that the hard way. So almost the biggest thing that I discovered after that was I started meditating. I was medic I was medicating <laughs> for a while after that as well, which which I think anything any tool that helps you just to level your brain or quieten the storm I think can help. And that was when I realized creativity changed for me at that point into into it's something that you, you can access and it's some it's a door you walk through rather than it just piling on. I felt like up until that point I still had the the old kind of romantic and really toxic version of like the tortured 
artist. And at points, you know, like the Torturous Times do, does make you come up with some great art, but that you don't need to live your life like that. It's not wrong to want to see some daylight, you know, like, you know, I mean, I, at points I almost painted my whole apartment black and everything, you know, and, and, and there's, there's rooms in my house where I used to live where, where we wouldn't even lift the curtains, I would just sit in the dark and things like that, and it's like, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is unhealthy, you know, it's, it's not, it wasn't a good position to be in, you know, and it was really, it was just drip, dripping this kind of poison into me, and then, as I say, it, it created this, yeah, I ended up, as I say, having a breakdown about it and I needed to really reset my life. And, and fortunately, my, my wife, Francesca, was such a great support because she'd, she'd been through it kind of all with me and for better or worse. And, 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 and fortunately, she was just helped me so much. And I, and I needed it, sadly. Sadly, I needed the help to kind of to just remind me that we only get one life. Let's, you got to at least try and, and have moments of joy, you know? <laughs> I... I 100% agree and uh, I thank you for being open and like talking about that because oh, again nice. on the other side of it it's kind of it feels a bit easier to be able to go I went through this and yes. and actually I've had these I one of the things that I've learned I suppose is that I've had these dark experiences and these moments and stuff that's happened and bad times and and I was like you know I had them and I can use them to I have access, but uh, but I don't want that to be my life. I don't want my life to be the the darts. So I had those, and I can use them to fuel my creativity and the knowledge and understanding of coming through that pain and having those moments. But that's not what I want my life to be. I don't want my life. Did you be your defining characteristic and everything? But the the, the sad thing is, you, you could always access it. That's it. You don't need to live it every moment. But anyone that's been through pain and hurt and grief in whatever ways. Sadly, it is always there, you know, so like being creative, it's like you don't need to live under it the whole time. But, you know, it's kind of like we're all changed after big events happen, you know, like you are changed, you know, so, so there's a there's. Yeah, I, I, I kind of trust it's there if I, if, if I kind of need it to go, you know, but I feel slightly more in control of it now. And it sounds like, you you know, you're similar kind of thing. Like it's like just finding strength from it, pulling strength from it rather than being a, a, a kind of rather than being the subject of it, you're kind of like being the, con the controller. Yeah, you control it rather than it controlling. Yes, yes. Rather than it controlling you, you're driving the car. <laughs> you're not in yeah, the car, exactly. you're driving the car. <laughs> like, I'm driving this and I'm glad that I've had experiences, yeah, that can inform the art and work. I sometimes feel like in my career, I've like, or throughout my life, that I've put my happiness on hold for the sake of advancing and, and then being a point of going, there has to be a balance. And Armando said this as well, you know, there has to be a balance of being able to try and create what you want to create, but also living, living a life, living as a full human. And that's what I find. I've, I made a conscious, and I guess the pandemic has done that. It's kind of like brought a lot to the front of kind of going, experiencing joy, acknowledging the joy when you're feeling it and being aware of it and being aware of being grateful. That I guess is one of the, one of the huge things that came out of the pandemic for me yeah, was like... so true. And also just how much we... Everyone's occupation has, bec uh, 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 has been an unhealthy part of our identity. And lockdown, I think, has made people realise that we, we need to have something else behind that because actually when the world... If the world stops in, a, in this instance... Well, I mean, we'll be prepared if it happened again. But, you know, like, we were all sitting at home going, well, wait, wait if I don't have my work, who, who am I? What am I doing? You know, and... 
and that's that's not a healthy place to be that you know if one aspect what should just be one aspect of our lives stops and you can feel that you've lost everything and, and, and I hope everyone I think we've all hit a slightly different level of consciousness coming out of this and the things that we cherish and value and well I know we do it's impossible to not be changed off the back of this you know and and I feel feel bad for the youngsters who maybe are these pivotal ages who maybe who aren't getting that year of whether they're going to their proms, whether they're doing going to secondary school for the first time. You know, I feel bad for people who aren't getting you know the primary one. You know, a couple of my friends, well, you know, our friends have got like kids, and like their kids aren't aren't getting to go to school. That that's that can be tough, but there's going to be so much good that comes out of this. I think in terms of hopefully looking out for each other, feeling like we all know what we need in life a little bit more, you know, and, and maybe I'm being too, maybe I'm too optimistic now. No, I love <laughs> I that. I never thought I'd say that. I never thought I'd say that. I love that. <laughs> I think it's a really, no, I think it's uplifting and we have to look. And sometimes that's a choice as well. For me, it's like a choice of kind of going, I overthink my brain races. I do all of that kind of stuff. And actually for my most clarity and my most focus and my most living my day-to-day life with a sense of joy is to give a positive spin to things because it can't hurt and kind of to kind of, yeah, you know, to rather than to, because otherwise I catastrophe, the opposite is catastrophizing, thinking of all the worst things. And that's not to ignore realities and stuff that's happened and changed, but it's a really nice way to, I think to, end our conversation and hopefully come out of the pandemic with a sense of what needs to change, what we can do better Mm -hmm. and what we've learned about ourselves Yes, to take those moments and kind of go what it pulls into sharp focus, what's important. We realise what we need as humans now and and what we don't need necessarily is, is pressure all the time because this has been a big pile of shit that's come from nowhere and landed on all of us and it doesn't matter, you know, it's affected us all. Some people more than others. Some people, it's not. Some people are making more money than ever, which I can't quite believe. But we've all. It's a great being a great leveler in a certain in a certain stage of it. You know, as I say, I know there's ways. I know we could debate that because obviously it's not it's not impacted everyone the same way. But all our lives have changed, and that's the. It's the first time I can remember in my life where everyone just had to stop. And, and that, there's got to be some positive out of that, Tiff. Yes. I can't wait to see you on stage at some point, Tiff. And I can't wait to be on stage. And you know. Me too. I can't wait to come to a to a Biffy show. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. We'll be, ta- we'll be <laughs> pour alcohol over. We'll be plying everyone with booze. It'll be tequilas all round. <laughs> you know that. I'll get you some tequila, and we'll we'll absolutely slam it. I, I, I can't wait. I look forward to it. Everyone's going to be dressed up as if we're going to the Oscars. Everyone's going to be wrecked within ten minutes. It's going to be glorious. Glorious. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to overcompensate for the not being out. I know. Uh, for that. <laughs> Tuxedo to go and get a rolling sausage, you know. I'm, like, I'm going to Greg's. Do you need anything? I'm just drying my moustache, you know. <laughs> yeah, getting all the Diamante out. I love it. I'm looking for, I'm very excited about it. Thank you for doing the podcast. It's been, I knew you would be amazing and it has been amazing. Oh, it's been such a um, pleasure, Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, no, well, we're, there'll be a couple, there'll be a new Biffy record this year. Hopefully you'll see us out on stage at some point. So just keep an eye out. If you like your rock and roll, then we are the only band you need. <laughs> <laughs> we got you covered. We've seen I did that um, in a non-Scottish accent. <laughs> 
Yes, yeah. You're like, I can't. it can't be me saying no, this. Exactly. I have to make it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Simon, for coming on the podcast. It's been a joy. Thank you for sharing your tiny revolutions. No, it's been such a pleasure, Tiff. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. 